Welcome in. What's up, guys? Welcome to Season 2 of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Baseball Podcast. I am your humble and loyal host, Chris Demui. Thank you all for joining me. For people that came last year, welcome back. For people that are just finding out about the channel or just heard about it via Twitter or friends or family, welcome in. Glad you all can make it. On this episode, we're going to start with the SEC preview of the East Division, leading off tonight with Florida and Georgia. Thank you all for joining us. As we mentioned, Florida and Georgia Georgia leading us off tonight on the podcast. But first, take care of a few housekeeping items. If you are new to the channel or if you forgot, this will be posted on the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is 60 feet. So that's the number six, then zero, then spell out feet. Six inches LSU pod. The Twitter account is at 60. Once again, the number is 60FT6INLSUPod. Please check out all the upcoming content, and it's going to be a lot. I have big plans for this year, so got a little help on the side, and um, looking to do some uh, different things with the podcast this year. Um, throwing some more guests at you. Really want to try to do some rapid reaction shows right after series, try to do some live events. Heck, who knows, maybe even going to remote. But uh, a lot more content, trying to put a lot more effort, obviously, into the pod this year. And um, last year, we just started halfway through the season, and I did it on a whim. But um, make sure to go like, subscribe, comment. On all the Twitter posts, the same thing with YouTube. So I appreciate any feedback that you may have. And let's get this thing going with the Florida Gators. And just a quick tidbit, the way I'm going to do these different previews, we're going to start with where these teams finished up in 2022, with what their 2023 schedule looks like, who were some of the key losses they had, who were some of the key returners they have, both uh, pitching and hitting, talk about their feeling a little bit, and then I'll give you my predictions at the end. And the predictions are actual records. I'm not just going to say, oh, they're going to go 14 and 16, and everybody's going to go 14 and 16, and you have one team out there like a lot of people do. So I went through, counting up the wins and losses, and uh, we're going to have some rankings at the end, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe keep up throughout the year to see how my predictions are going. So without further ado, the Florida Gators. In 2022, they finished 42 and 24. They were 15 and 15 in conference, tied with Georgia for second in the SEC East. They lost in the Oklahoma Regional, who eventually played Ole Miss for the national championship. And they finished ranked 21st in the D1 Baseball Poll and 27th at the end of last year in the Collegiate Baseball Poll. In terms of the 2022, their team statistics, hitting, they came in second worst in the SEC. They hit 273 as a team. They did hit 121 home runs, which was second behind Tennessee. Um, third in slugging percentage, and really middle of the pack in the rest of the hitting categories such as hits, RBIs, runs scored. They did ground into the most double plays. And all in all, they were just an average hitting team, but they had a lot of pop and a couple guys that could really hit some home runs in the middle of the order. In terms of pitching, they had the fifth best team ERA at 4.22. Now when I say these stats, I'm going to do this for every team that we go over. It's not just in conference games. It's within the conference, but it's, you know, the totality of their records. So in all 66 games that they played and how that stacks up within the conference. So fifth best team ERA at 4.22. Uh, batting average against was in the top half. They gave up the third most hits. Lower half in terms of strikeouts. Um, just an average, I guess, Florida. 
pitching staff, maybe something that we're unaccustomed to seeing in the last couple of years. Uh, in terms of fielding, they did have the third best fielding percentage. 2023 schedule. Now, I found this interesting when I did this for a lot of teams. Um, I really wanted to see, you know, there's a lot of college baseball tournaments now, right? People are going and traveling all over, playing different teams from different conferences. So I just thought it's interesting to see who really challenges themselves with the schedule and who uh, plays a bunch of cupcakes. But Florida, no surprise, they have three midweek games versus Florida State. They have a three-game weekend series versus Miami at home. And they also welcome in Cincinnati on the weekend series. And as you all know, probably a lot of those northern teams like to travel down to the SEC to get some of that warmer weather, you know, in February and early March before the conference season uh, kicks in. So nothing really of note or of importance or anything cool, as I like to say, with their uh, non-conference schedule. In terms of the SEC schedule, they do miss LSU and Arkansas this year, but they are at Ole Miss, Tennessee at home, and A&M at home. So really not a bad slate overall. As we get deeper into this thing, you will see, and I will point out, some SEC teams have an absolutely hellish stretch. You know, three, four, five game, five series in a row where it's just murderer's row. It's just one after the other after the other. And you're, it's going to be really interesting how this conference plays out this year and how many teams are able to make it through that gauntlet because it's the best conference in America. And when I say gauntlet, it is, it is going to be no let up week in, week out this year in the SEC. In terms of the preseason rankings this year for the Florida Gators, very high. Number three in Baseball America, number two in Collegiate Baseball, number seven in D1, eight in Perfect Games. So you can see anywhere from two to eight. So easily a top 10 team by the pundits' perspective. They do return six position players this year, so six starters. Their freshman class was ranked number five in the country. And in terms of their transfer portal class, it was ranked number seven in the country. So now let's get into, you know, who did they lose on the hit? We'll start with the hitters. Who did they lose on the hitter side? And who did they bring in? So from a key losses perspective, the first and foremost is Jude Fabian. He had 24 home runs, absolute stud, got drafted very high. Then you had Sterling Thompson, who hit 354 and had 11 home runs on the season for the Gators. In terms of returners, this guy is, is akin to a uh, Dylan Cruz for LSU. You know, it's Wyatt Langford. Preseason All-American, a ton of accolades. I'm sure he's on the Golden Spikes watch list, SEC Player of the Year watch list. I mean, he has a ton of tools. And to me, their, their offense really starts and ends with him in the middle of that lineup. Last year, he hit 355, which led the team. He hit 26 home runs, which actually ties the school record for Florida. And he also led the team in RBIs with 63. So he's the guy that makes that thing go, obviously. Uh, in the conference overall, Wyatt Langford had the second highest slugging percentage, first in runs scored, second in hits, first in home runs, first in total bases. I mean, you get the picture. This guy's an absolute stud, and he's coming off an amazing season last year. To back him up in the lineup, Florida returns B.T. Riopella. Hopefully I pronounced that right and worked on that very hard. I even got the phonetic spelling right out here in front of me. He hit 304 last year, 15 bombs, 55 RBIs, second most on the team last year. But he also punched out a ton. He led the team in strikeouts. The Gators also returned infielders Josh Rivera and Colby Halter. Both starters, they hit in the mid-200s. Nothing really stood out um, about them, per se, from an average perspective. And they both had close to double-digit home runs. So right around that 8 or 9 number for those guys. The Gators returned 63% of their home run production. 
In terms of transfers, they did bring in a utility infielder from Coastal Carolina who hit 13 home runs for the Chanticleers last year. And they brought in an outfielder from Rutgers. And, and from what I can tell in the, in the read-ups and write-ups about this guy, he's really an on-base guy. Not a ton of pop, per se, but he's um, going to get on base, not going to strike out a lot, going to walk. Just going to get uh, just kind of a good overall baseball player. Last year, the Gators only had three guys hit above 300. And while Langford and Rio Pella returned, there's a, there was a huge drop-off when you look at their averages. You know, you had Langford, Rio Pella, and then you had um, Sterling Thompson, who they lost. And actually, Jude Fabian did not hit for a high average. He just hit a ton of bombs. So they bring two of their top hitters back. But from there, everybody else hit like in the 250s, it seemed. So that's their hitters. So maybe not a super deep lineup. Very concentrated in the middle. We're going to have to see what those transfers bring to the table. Um, we'll see. We'll see about those hitters. Obviously, Langford and Rio Pella are um, two people to star and highlight on that scouting report. In terms of pitchers, the key losses are Hunter Barco, Nick Pogue, and that's really about it. Barco, I believe he got injured last year, draft pick. But Florida is absolutely stacked when it comes to arms this year. First of all, they went out and got a massive transfer, and I'll talk about him in a second. It's almost like he's going under the radar, which is really hard for me to believe, as good as this kid is. But they returned just a plethora of pitchers. First off, they have Brandon Sprout, who's back. He started 16 games for the Gators last year, went 9-4 and with a 3.41 ERA. 89 and two-thirds innings pitch. So just a hoss on the mound last year. They, they also returned Brandon Neely. Started 10 games for them last year. 3-3 three and three with a 3.76 ERA. 69 and a third innings pitch with 74K. So somebody else who, who tallied a lot of innings on the bump for the Gators. Um, Nick Ficarata. 28 appearances. 3.9. 3 saves. 60 innings pitched. And they also returned their closer in Blake Purnell, who had 36 appearances, which led the SEC in appearances. 3-3, three and three, 2.86 ERA, 4 saves, 50 and a third innings pitched. Add closer Ryan Slater to the mix, 26 appearances, 6 saves, 57 and a third innings pitched for Slater. So look, you're returning two guys that started a ton of games, and really, your two, your three aces in the bullpen. You know, Ficarada had 28 appearances, Purnell, um, 36 appearances, and then Slater, 26 appearances. And it looked like Purnell and Slater can both close. They may have flip-flopped. But then you add into the mix former Southern Miss stud, Team USA pitcher, Hurston Waldrop, makes his way over to Florida. So quite a coup for the Gators right there. Top 10 college prospect this year. By all publications, last year for Southern Miss, as we know, he faced LSU in the Super. No, excuse me, in the Regional. I apologize. 17 games started, 6-2, 3.20 ERA, 90 innings pitched, 140 Ks. So, like I said, I feel like I almost forgot he went there from a transfer portal perspective. But look, he's going to slot into Saturday, period. You got Sprout that's going to go Friday, I assume. Waldrop's going to go Saturday, and once, if y'all stick with me through these, through these previews from the east to the west, you know, capping it off with LSU right before opening night, the Friday-Saturday guys in this conference on multiple teams are absolute dudes. Just guys that return with amazing stuff or experienced guys, freshman All-Americans that come back for several teams, and it's, um, 
it's impressive the arms and the arm talent that LSU is going to run out there on, um, excuse me, <laughs> that the SEC is going to run out there from a conference, conference perspective Friday and Saturdays. But um, Florida staff, those pitching stats are going to um, be, be near the top of the conference this year. They're loaded from a pitching perspective, and that's going to be fun for that pitching coach to work with these guys. So my prediction for the Florida Gators, you know, they're definitely going to be able to pitch it. From their starters to the pen, they're going to be looking to get into that Omaha discussion. But can they field it well enough? Probably. I think so. So can they get other people on base from a lineup perspective like we discussed besides Langford and Riapella? Can those guys, other people get on base to where they can drive them in? And can people offer protection with those two in the middle of the lineup? Possibly. With the two transfers that come in. And this is the thing with all these previews. Look, like I didn't go back and watch every Florida game. I dug up some stuff on all these transfers. You know, I'm not going up there to watch Rutgers film or Coastal Carolina film. I did some read-ups. So all this is a guessing game. So I, I, obviously everybody understands that, right? I and mean, that's the fun in it. But for me, it's just fun to learn more about SEC teams and future LSU opponents since this is an LSU podcast. So obviously, you know, we're just throwing darts at the board right here. But um, I think they are a notch below Tennessee this year. But I definitely think Florida's going to battle for that second spot and maybe have to fend off a couple more teams in the SEC East. And we'll get to those um, as the preview goes on and on. But I think they're going to finish second. So therefore, I predict the Gators to go 19-11 and 11 in SEC play and finish second in the East. And we'll see who I pick to finish first, although it's probably pretty obvious. But um, look, Crazy deep pitching staff, stud starters, guys to hand it off to their two closers or setup men, or however you want to phrase it, with um, Purnell and Slater. And I think it's going to be tough scoring runs on the Gators this year. Now, they got some pop. I don't know how many runs they're going to score, but I tell you what, their pitching staff is going to do the job and keep them in almost every game, even if those bats are struggling and even if they can't find protection for Langford in the middle. And that's the problem. You know, if you can't surround them with anything, potentially people can just pitch around him. You know, and you just take your chances with other people in the lineup. So, Florida Gators, my prediction, 19-11, second in the SEC East. Now, moving on to the second team in the SEC East preview for this episode on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod, the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, to me, Georgia kind of came out of nowhere last year. Didn't know a lot about them until we started doing the pods, started doing some research on the Bulldogs. Actually talked to one of their... um uh, students who, who writes for one of the news, newspapers over there had a great conversation with him. We did that live, so it was really good to interview him last year. So hopefully get in touch with him again this year just to get his take on Georgia. But, uh, you know, really had some good quality arms last year and some hitters that surprised me, you know, some hitters with some pop. So last year, 2022, the Bulldogs finished 36-23. and 23. They were 15-15 and 15 in conference, so they tied with Florida for second in the SEC East. So you got to remember, this is um, they beat out South Carolina. They beat out perennial powerhouse Vanderbilt, who had a little bit of a down year last year. And I've always wondered, it, it has just been a, uh, a myth, not a myth, but I have no idea why Georgia is not a better SEC program year in and year out. I mean, if you drew like an hour and a half radius around Atlanta, and you go look at their roster, you don't have to leave the state. Now, you can say that with a lot of teams like Florida. Um, LSU kind of goes out and gets different people from, you know, they recruit more around the country now, like Texas A&M probably doesn't have to leave the state of Texas. But that Atlanta area, 
that travel ball mecca over there. I just, I just haven't understood why Georgia hasn't just been more on the national uh, scene in the last 20 years. It just baffles me. Anyway, off, off my soapbox. So, finished second in the SEC East last year. They actually lost in Chapel Hill Regional with North Carolina. So, I kind of forgot they went to a regional last year. Their 2022 team statistics, they were fifth in the conference in hitting at 283. So, a nice average there. And in all hitting categories... Not to just bore you with all the statistics, but they finished anywhere from 7th to 10th. So when I say all hitting categories, I'm talking about home runs, doubles, hits, runs scored, you know, strikeouts, walks, all those ancillary categories, anywhere from 7th to 10th. In terms of pitching, they had the second worst team, team ERA in the conference. They came in at 5.67. They gave up the most runs and the second most earned runs. They walked the most batters. And they gave up the third most home runs at 81. And they hit the second most batters in the conference. So bottom line, I think we know where we're going with this. Georgia's pitching staff was pretty terrible last year. They were not good. So looking to improve upon that this year. Their fielding was very average throughout. Nothing really stood out. So when I'm talking about fielding, I'm talking about putouts, assists, double plays, errors, fielding percentage. So with Georgia, you know, middle of the pack to bottom third right there. In terms of their 2023 schedule, really nothing of note in and out of conference. I'm going to be honest. Like if they play Lipscomb or if they play uh, Furman or maybe they play Michigan State, I'm not going to mention it. That doesn't, that doesn't get me excited when you talk about out of conference. Like today I put out a tweet like TCU's out of conference. I was looking at them because they're in a tournament with some SEC teams. Like this is what excites me as a baseball fan. You ready? TCU plays... And um, I think they play in two college tournaments this year. They play in like the, the one in Arlington and they play in another one. And then they have uh, Florida State coming in for a three-game series. They play Fullerton, who's kind of dropped off the map a little bit. Um, not as good as they were in the 90s and 2000s. They have Fullerton coming in for a three-game series. They have University of San Diego coming in for a three-game series. They have UNC Wilmington. And they can do this because the Big 12 doesn't have 12 teams. So they have to fill out their weekends. But, I mean, you want to talk about it. Just a crazy, challenging, name-brand type of a schedule. That's fun right there. You know, those, the fans in Fort Worth are really going to be in for a treat this year. So when I say nothing of note, that's, that's what I mean. Um, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are returning six starting position players, and they're all starters. So, and basically all their top hitters are really back, to be honest. In terms of the transfer portal, they didn't really hit it that hard. They brought in the JUCO Co-Defensive Player of the Year, shortstop Dakota Harris. Um, along with an infielder from Yale and Sanford, and a pair of bullpen arms that have both closed. One of them is from Wofford, and the other is from Tulane. In terms of 2023, so let's look at their, from the hitter's perspective, who are their key losses and their key returners. So really, they didn't get hit too hard in terms of losses. They lost Cole Tate, who led the team with a three fifty nine average, but they bring back 70% of their home runs from last year, and four out of five of their top RPI producers. So I do remember when they played LSU last year, it felt like they could really hit, and uh, certain guys in that lineup could definitely run out the park at any time. So even though Cole Tate led the team with a high average, he didn't have a ton of pop. You know, he wasn't really a home run guy. That actually, they left that up to his brother, who's back. So the returners for 2023. The man I was talking about, outfielder Connor Tate, comes back. He hit 350, excuse me, 345 last year with 13 bombs, which tied for the team lead. And he led the team in RBIs with 58. So, boom, put him right in the three or four hole right there. 
He's going to be surrounded by Parks Harbor, who's an infielder. He had 307. He also had 13 home runs, and he was second on the team with 53 RBIs for the Bulldogs. They bring back first baseman Cole Wagner, 276 and six bombs. Uh, outfielder Ben Anderson, 274 and nine home runs. And they bring back their catcher, Corey Collins, with 11 home runs. So right there, you're looking at Connor Tate and Ben Anderson. So two of your outfield spots are filled right there. And in terms of infield, you got your first baseman. So the corners and your catcher are back. So you just got to find something up the middle. Um, I'm sure that's where those transfer. Obviously, like I just mentioned, excuse me, they just signed uh, you know Dakota Harris, the JUCO Player of the Year. So I would imagine he slots right in the shortstop. And I'm not sure what he can do with the bat, but obviously he can pick it. So now getting back to the pitchers, who did they lose? Who did they bring back? So they lost. Obviously, the biggest name that they one of the two big names that they lost were Jonathan Cannon, who was their starter, the Friday night guy. He started 13 games. He went nine and four. And they also lost a very good closer that they had, Jack Gowan, who had 10 saves with 25 appearances, a great minuscule ERA in these days at 2.39 and 37 innings pitched. So you lose your Friday night guy and your closer. So how are they going to fix that? Now you got to remember their pitching staff was horrible. So basically the worst or the second to worst in almost every category. So you lose your Friday guy and your closer – but they do have a lot of experience coming back. So several guys with a bunch of appearances, which can be good or bad, right? You can say, Chris, well, they were terrible, and you're bringing back the same guys. But maybe those guys got enough uh, action on the mound to where they just improve upon last year. We can only hope they improve, right, from a Georgia perspective. Uh, a couple of names to watch. Liam Sullivan, he started 12 games last year and had a 4.62 ERA. Nolan Crisp, eight games started. Uh, not a great record. He went 1-4. They bring back Chandler Marsh, who had 24 appearances, 4-1 and one with a 3.74 ERA. So it'll be interesting to see if they slot him into a weekend spot. Uh, Luke Wagner, 19 appearances, 4 starts. And Will Pearson had 26 appearances out the pen. But most importantly out the pen, and I maybe shouldn't have you know, let this guy to the end, but Jaden Woods, I would imagine he's going to close this year. If you don't remember, Jaden Woods is a lefty. He threw against LSU, and his stuff is actually – Absolutely electric. So he, he set up for Jack Gowan last year. Jaden Woods is a lefty, 94 to 96, 4.80 ERA, 25 appearances, three saves, 54 and a third innings pitched, and 80 Ks. You heard me right, 54 innings pitched, 80 Ks. So I'd imagine he's going to slide into the back of the bullpen to shut things down. He can go 8-9. He can throw multiple times in a weekend. I cannot remember who... Hit an absolute bomb for him off the Tigers last year. It escapes me. But I remember his first outing, he came in. I think he threw, uh, he probably threw like 10 pitches and struck out the side. He was just bam, bam, bam. And that 94 to 96 is electric. So starting-wise, I don't know. They have a lot of guys with a lot of appearances. The results aren't great. At the back end, you have a shutdown closer in Jaden Woods. So how do I see the dogs finishing up this year? I do think they're going to take a step back from 15 and 15. Um, that's a really good year. They finished second in the East. They went to a regional, but it was a below average pitching staff, really, except for two guys. Now this year, I will say they have a ton returning from an offensive and hitting perspective. And I think their lineup has some depth to it. And they got guys with some pop, you know, several guys, a couple guys with 13 home runs, a couple guys close to double digits that are coming back. And, Y'all are going to think I'm crazy. From a depth perspective, when I mean depth, I mean one through nine. I think they're 
lineup may shake out better than Florida's. Now, Florida may have – they got Langford and Rhea Pella, so they may have more top-end talent. But in terms of one through nine, the dogs may kind of get them right there. But obviously they don't compare when it comes to pitching. So, But, uh, I don't, you know, schedule-wise, they have a great home slate of games. They have Arkansas coming into town. They have Tennessee coming into town, LSU, South Carolina. So a really good home slate this year. And they have a, a tough four-game stretch. And let me remind you, that is at, that's in a row now, at Florida, Arkansas, at Ole Miss, defending national champs, versus Tennessee at home. I mean, if you can if you can scratch five to six games out of that stretch, that's that's amazing. You know, the biggest thing is you just can't, you know, catch four or less out of that. And that, that would be a season killer from an SEC perspective. So can the pitching be better? I don't know. I, I trust the back end with Woods, and uh, they got a couple portal guys to help him out on the um, pitching perspective. But I don't know. It's just it's just, just going to be tough without high end arms this year. You know, we can get into that. Maybe I'll do a wrap up SEC prediction show to where I get into some more specifics from the conference as a whole. But I think without without high end arms this year on Friday and Saturday night, it's it's going to be a struggle. It really is to keep those games close. You know, you got to have something close to get it to Woods at the end to where he can shut it down. So I like their hitting. I think they're going to put up some runs. I just don't know if their pitchers can keep them in the game long enough. So for the Georgia Bulldogs, I predict they were finished fifth in the SEC East. Remember, each side has seven teams. Fifth, and I think they will go 13-17. and 17. So a drop of two games from last year. And uh, I just think their pitching is going to let them down a little bit. Um, and they can hit, but you know, I don't know, I don't know how that's going to play out over a three game SEC series and uh man, they got that tough four game slate right in the middle. So 13 and 17 for the dogs fifth in the SEC East. So that'll do it for this SEC East preview. As we just covered Florida and Georgia. Thank y'all for tuning in on Wednesday. We will be releasing Kentucky and Vanderbilt. And that will be followed up by a Friday podcast as well. On Friday, we will be re- releasing Mizzou and South Carolina. Now, I will let y'all know, um, my goal is to put these as shorts on YouTube. So if you didn't like Florida, you don't like Georgia, or you like, you're like a fan of one or the other, I'll plan on splitting these up to put them as shorts. So maybe you can just catch them in 10-minute segments. Make sure you, this will be on podcast form as well. I will link to YouTube and podcast onto the Twitter account. Remember, the Twitter is at 60FT, 6INLSUPod. That's 60FT, 6INLSUPod. Check out the YouTube channel, 60 feet, 6 inches LSUPod. You got to spell those out. I didn't do that. I didn't make the same ones for YouTube and Twitter because I thought that would be an ungodly long Twitter handle. So Moscona told me my Twitter handle, my name of my pod was terrible last year. So (laughs) there you go, Matt. A little shout out. But, um, I will be trying to do LSU updates. I did go to the scrimmage on Friday. Couldn't make it out Saturday, and I cannot make it out Monday. I travel a ton for work, so I'm going to head out of town. But listen, there's a plenty of LSU content out there. Hunt Palmer, Matthew Musso, um, Mikey Matuk, all the LSU pods. All those guys do a great job. There's also some other podcasts I check out for college baseball. A new one is uh, In Off the Bench. Those guys do a ton of player interviews. Really great insight if you want to see those kids kind of in a natural setting with their guard down, maybe give you some insight. Um, The Weekend Rotation with uh, Mark Garland and Alex Day, who's an LSU fan, and they do college baseball from around the country. So 
If you're ready for college baseball like I am, you're ready for the Tigers, the consensus preseason number one team, keep it locked here. Um, also, I can't forget my guys at Tigers Avenue. Zach and Reagan do a good job covering all of LSU sports. Look, I'm here to promote everybody. This is not my full-time job. I just like to have fun with this. I hope you all enjoy it. Um, just I'm just trying to offer some insight and uh, just what I think will happen and what I think will happen throughout the season. So, But once again, like, comment, subscribe, interact with me on Twitter. Twitter, I try to respond to all y'all comment on the YouTube if there's something you'd like to see. Um, I'm going to try to fix up the background, get some sponsors. We got some big things on the horizon, so stay tuned for more to come. Um, don't forget, Kentucky Vandy on Wednesday, Mizzou USC on Friday. I'm going to leave Tennessee, excuse me, Tennessee and LSU till the end. There's going to be longer, just a lot more to do with those teams. And then the SEC West will be rolling in next week as well. And be tuned. Make sure you, uh, I'm going to do some preview shows and some different things with more guests. So got a lot of good things coming. I appreciate y'all joining in for the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. And as always, go Tigers, and I'll see y'all next time.